Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Somebody recently said to me as I was uh, doing a graveside service for someone who had passed away, for a Christian and a Christian family, and, and said, boy, this must be one of the hard parts about your job, right? And I thought about it, I thought about it lots of times like that, and in some sense it's hard, but in other sense it's a great privilege to be able to be involved in people's lives where it really, really is mattering to them big time, and to be able to bring the truths of what God has to say because, man, what hope is there? What awesome hope is there for the Christian in death, right? It is, we know where we're going. We know uh, what the future holds for us, and it's great comfort. But there is something that goes along with uh, doing that kind of thing, being, in, you know, visiting people in the hospital at the end of their life, uh, doing funerals, graveside services, uh, talking to people after. And it, it's a, keeps reminding me, especially as I get older, that that's where we all go, isn't it? Ultimately. Unless the Lord, you know, we reach that point where the Lord's bringing it all to an end and he takes us out of the world directly, all of us are going to come to the end of our lives. And it's not something we need to be afraid of. I mean, you know, it's not something we naturally want. (laughs) But nothing for us to be afraid of. But then what hits me about that is that, wait a minute, so, I mean, right now in my life, I have, I I still, at this point in my life, think, oh yeah, okay, someday I need to do this, right? Or someday I got to get on this or work on this. And the point is, all of a sudden, one day, I can't do that anymore. Right? That day comes, wait, wait, Lord, I still had things (laughs) that I wanted to get done too. And so at that point, it's what I have done in my life up to that point that is going to be what I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ about. There won't be any more, oh wait, you know, I'll get to that this year, you know, or next week or even later today. And so it will be only how I have already lived that when I stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, And he evaluates my life. And so some of you uh, may be newer here. Some of you watching or listening uh, may be new to you. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. We're not talking about a judgment to see if you make it to heaven or not. Because if God is going to judge us on the basis of how we've lived our lives in order to get to heaven, guess what? None of us are making it. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. And so none of us make it on that basis. That's why Jesus came, isn't it? Such good news. The Son of God comes to earth. Uh, He lives a perfect and sinless life, goes to the cross, uh, and as he dies there, somehow God puts the penalty for my sin and your sin on him, the sins of the whole world. He rises again from the dead. We're going to celebrate that in a special way in a month. He rises again from the dead, and the Scriptures tells us that if we will acknowledge who we are in our, you know, our lives as far as we are sinners. We've all not done what God said we ought to do. There have been plenty of things God said we ought not to do that we did. 
And often we do maybe even what we're supposed to do, but we have a lousy attitude when we do it, right? I mean, all these things. Uh, if we're going to stand in judgment before God on that basis, we're guilty, we're going to hell. But he says if we'll acknowledge that that's the reality of where we're at and believe that Jesus died for us, died paying the penalty for our sins, rose again, we can then place our faith in him to be our Savior. We can receive him as Lord and Savior. And, and when, he, when we do that, the moment we come to that, for me it was, I remember an evening when I was 19 years old and all of a sudden it was so clear and we say to God, okay, God, that's me. That, and I believe and I, I want to receive Christ as Savior. At that moment, he forgives every sin you ever have or ever will commit. Because guess what? That's what Jesus died for, didn't he? Amen. Every sin. He forgives it all. It will never be held against you in eternity. He, he gives you eternal life. So now when you die, you will go to heaven to be with him. And then he moves into your life and begins making changes from the inside out. All right? So what good news that is. So that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. What we're saying is everybody who has received Christ, who's made that decision, and, and, and we use the terminology of the Bible, is we've been saved, been saved from the penalty of our sins. We've been born again. We've received Christ. That everyone who does that, when we go to heaven, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what it is, it's, it's where we look at our lives with the Lord. And he looks at it with us. And we make an evaluation of how did we do? Okay, here you did really well. You trusted me. See, remember this situation, Walt? You trusted me. And, and you stepped out in faith and you did what I said. And look, let me show you, Walt, what it did. And we do that. And then it's like, okay, here, you know, you kind of just were selfish and just did your own thing, right? And what the Bible tells us is the end result of this judgment is that the things that we have done well, the way the Lord wants us to, right heart attitude, those kinds of things, that we, some kind of eternal reward. I don't know what that is, but we get rewarded for that. And the rest of it is like, sort of like burned up and gone. It's lost. It was wasted, the parts. And so the judgment seat of Christ, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a life worth living. So go ahead and go to those two truths. The first one is a life that's worth living is one that will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. When, when we, we, it's going to pass the test as he evaluates. And, and none of us are going to have perfect there, right? Not by a long shot. But hopefully, as we look at our lives with him over the, our lives, that we did better, right? And we progressively did better. But so we evaluate, and the Lord is saying, well done. Good job. You know, you did what I wanted you to do here. And... Uh, and so a life that's worth living, I mean, how terrible to live your whole life. You've received Christ as Savior, thankfully. You stand before God, and as you look at your life with the Lord, almost all of it doesn't pass the test. And it was all wasted. And you look at your life and say, man, that was hardly a life worth living. Okay. So this is what we're talking about, passing the test. Now, the second thing we want to remember is that a life that, pass, will, that will pass that test is also the life that is the most deeply satisfying and meaningful now. And by the way, sinful world lies to us about that all the time. We're going to talk about that some today. But so this is what it means to uh, live a life that is worth living. Okay. 
Now, that means we have to make lots of decisions, don't we? To have a life worth living. We have to make some very conscious, purposeful decisions in life. Every day, right? Some of those decisions are really big, huge decisions, and we, we, we're very much aware of them. Others are smaller, more subtle, but we have to make lots of decisions all the time. And so there are certain realities that we deal with when it comes to this. Like I told you, the world lies to you. Let's, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews, the first of two passages that we will look at here today. Hebrews chapter 11. you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chairs there in front of you somewhere. We're on page 1,382. 1,382. And we see as we go through life and we're, we're faced with choices, decisions we have to make. Um, chapter 11 here is a chapter that talks about people who made good decisions. Who made good decisions to trust God, to believe him. Decisions of faith. And so we see Moses. And you remember the story of Moses, right? Moses was born during a time when the Pharaoh of Egypt was having babies killed, uh, baby boys killed particularly. He did not, he, the Israelites were getting too many, and he was worried about them, so he's having the babies killed. And we, the story is that Moses' mom, you know, just couldn't let that happen, so she hides Moses, and when he gets too old to hide anymore, she puts him in a basket on the edge of the Nile River where the reeds were, and, and if you remember, um, Pharaoh's daughter comes and finds baby Moses and takes him in. She has compassion on him. She takes him in and raises him as her son. He's in, raised in the Egyptian palace, really by one who would be the queen, probably a princess of Egypt at that point in time, and uh, so he's raised there. And so he hasn't made. All of his Israelite brothers are still in slavery, aren't they? Not him. He grows up with wealth, privilege, opportunities. And, uh, but what happens is as he gets older, he becomes a young man. And I don't know exactly how old he was. Maybe in his 30s even. But he, he looks at the situation of his actual family, the Israelites, and what was happening to them, and that it, it wasn't right. And so he has a choice to make, doesn't he? How easy would it have been for Moses just to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to just stay where I am, not going to you know, cause any waves here, I got it good now. Or he can make the decision to identify with his people and at least potentially lose all that other stuff. So let's look. This is what the passage tells us here. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And I think we all know the decision he made, right? He chose to identify with God's people and to suffer because of it, to suffer loss. And this is what it's telling you that he did this by faith. He made a decision to trust God and to do what he 
concluded was right. Now, what were his options? To live the good life and don't cause any problems or to choose to do what God said and suffer for it. And we see this here. And we see that he recognized that choice. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And why would he do that? Verse 26, he looked to the reward. He trusted God to reward him. Give up all this to do what God wants you to do. Now, it says something in here about pleasure that I want you to, uh, sin, that I want you to see. In the end of verse 25, again, he says, then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Is sin pleasurable ever? Of course it is. If sin was, if, if there were no pleasure in sin, most of us would not sin much, would we? You know? We're not really stupid people, <laughs> you know? So yes, there is pleasure in sin, and it's deceptive. But he tells us something here about the pleasures that go with sin. What is the truth about the pleasures that go with sin from that passage? What is it? It's temporary. It's temporary. It passes away. That's right. And so first thing that we want to understand is we're thinking about how do I live this life that, that's going to be worth living and make those decisions I need to make. We need to understand this truth. Go ahead. There, first one that the pleasures, the pleasure that accompanies a sinful decision is always temporary and leads to sorrow and regret. Now, if, if, we, could set, if we could remember that when we're making decisions, wouldn't that already make a difference? Okay, this, this would be pleasurable, but in reality, it's going to not last. And where it's going to leave me is in a really bad place. It's kind of like if, if, let's say, you needed to drive from here to Boston. You needed to for your work or whatever, and your friend comes along with a 1974 yellow Corvette <laughs> and says, would you like to go for a ride? Awesome, I'm getting in this car. And you get in that car, and he drives to Springfield <laughs> and lets you out. Well, the pleasure has ended <laughs> and the turmoil has begun, right? Because you're supposed to be in Boston for your work, okay? Now, that's a silly example. But you see how in our life that works? Sin is pleasurable for a while, but it does not take you where you really wanted to go. It leaves you in a bad place and, and there is suffering. It leaves us all in regret. So the, the corollary to this is the difficulty that accompanies a right decision is also temporary. But it leads to lasting blessings and pleasure. See, so we, they're both temporary. Pleasure from sin is temporary. It leads you to a bad place. Difficulty, hardship that goes with doing what's right leads you to a good place, okay? Now, that thinking isn't, it's very logical, it is logical, but it isn't very natural. <laughs> we tend to want the pleasure, okay? And I get that. All right, now, um, this idea of difficulty being temporary, okay? And remembering that difficulty is temporary. There's a verse 
uh, in the scripture that talks about the Lord's chastening of us or correcting of us, like, like parents correct their children and chasten their children. Uh, it's not pleasant, is it? Anybody remember when mom or dad used to chasten you or discipline you, whatever you want to call it? Pleasant? No. Uh, not. So it's temporary. But so the scripture says this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So he's talking about chastening, but I want to say to you that this same kind of progression happens when we choose what's right even though it's hard. We choose what's right even though it's unpleasant. That it leads somewhere, doesn't it? It leads to peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's where it leads us, okay? Uh, we looked at a passage of scripture a, a few months back when we were in First Peter. And so let's take a look at that. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, and, and just stay right here for a minute, Sergey. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So again, the idea is, this it's obvious, we're talking about suffering for doing what? What's right. Okay? When you're suffering for doing what's right, that's the reason to take, find joy in it, because it's leading somewhere else. It's leading to good that really becomes long-term good, not temporary good. Okay, let's go on. Same passage, he says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, if you are spoken evil of, if you are suffering again for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody. Okay, so the idea is, don't, if you're going to suffer, suffer for what? Good. Good. Suffer for doing what's right. Because when you're suffering for doing what's wrong, that's not leading you anywhere good. You suffer for doing this right, though, is leading you someplace good. Let's continue. Go ahead, Sergey. Yep. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So when we find ourselves in life having to make decisions that are hard, that might bring suffering, when that's the case, he says, commit yourself to God. Okay, God, here I am. You are faithful. You, you will bring the good out of this because I'm trusting you in doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Okay? So let's talk a little bit more about it. It's similar to what we already talked about, but let's put it back into the idea of suffering. Let's talk about suffering. Okay? Any suffering you avoid now by making a less than right decision will lead to greater suffering later. Okay, you understand that? So we look and say, oh, you know, maybe we don't try to do what really, what's really wrong, but we fudge on what's really right and bring some difficulties into our life. It's going, if, if you're trying to avoid that, you'll suffer later. You don't escape, you're just putting it off, and it'll be bigger and worse than this. If we suffer, if any suffering you experience now by making a right decision will lead to God's multiplied blessings both now and later. All right. 
So this both now and later, now it's that you, you, you grow in your character, you grow in Christ-like, you experience the joy that only God gives in those kinds of situations. And in the future, you will have you know, the multiplied blessings of God, a lot of it in this life, but certainly in the life to come. And that's where you will hear that, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the what? Do you know what it says? The joy of the Lord, okay? So we want to remember these things. Now, I, I, what I want to do is, is those were four long statements and you're trying to remember and you're going through life and, and it's, we really do want those nailed down in our understanding. But in this, this sermon series, we're talking about trying to just get some things settled, things that we need to settle in our lives so that when all is said and done, we will have lived a life that was worth living. And so what I want to do is really simplify this for us today, okay? So I'm gonna provide you with just one simple solution that's going to work every step of the way. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy. And the Bible doesn't say, here's the one simple solution. But it's pretty clear, I think. Deuteronomy chapter six, page 210 in the Bible that's there in the chair. So in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is kind of a retelling and a re-emphasizing of everything that happened for Israel from the time they left Egypt to the time they were getting ready to enter the promised land. And so there's a lot of re-emphasis of stuff. In the beginning of chapter 6, he's re-emphasizing. In fact, he, he's, this is, do you remember what Jesus said when they asked him what's the, the great commandment, the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Guess where that came from? Deuteronomy 6. First part of this chapter. Okay, I mean, he's, he's really nailing some things down for them. Okay, then we get down to verse 17. Two verses. He says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. So what's he talking about? He's talking about what? For us. The word of God, right? Commandments, the things he's, the, the big commandments, do this, don't do that. And then the idea of the testimonies. This is the, 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 how God has shown us these things, shown us the way in the word. And, and then the statutes. This is the more detailed. Here's how you do those things. He says we need to be diligent about that. Okay? Well, once again, okay, that's a lot to think about. And so I really think the next verse, he kind of just boils it down here. He says this, verse 18. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Notice, if you will live this way, you will experience God's fulfillment of all those promises that he made. You will experience all the blessings that go along with living the way God says you should live. And what we're talking about, you will experience a life that was worth living and that will stand up at the judgment seat of Christ and bring you satisfaction and meaning now. All right, but so let's go back here, beginning verse 18. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. So what I want to offer you to today is a simple, simple solution to making all the decisions that you need to make. And I'm going to say it like this. Do what's right right now. Can you say that with me? Do what's right right now. Okay? 
Um, and so this has already helped me this past week. There have been a number of times where I find myself, like we all do, making a decision about something, and I remembered, do what's right, right now. Now, there's, there's two kinds of ideas here. First is to do what's right. Okay, what's right? What's right in this situation? Do that. And when should you do it? Right now. Right now, when you know to do it. Right now. In other words, if I know what's right to do, and I, should, I can do it now, and I probably ought to do it now, and I think, eh, let me hold off here. I'm making that less than right choice, aren't I? You see, it just starts heading all downhill from there. So when you know what's right to do, do it. Do what's right, right now. And this is really, <laughs> it's really important in so many ways, but let me just share. There are some things that we need to understand related to this and related to life. And the first one is this, that sin is always ready to be your decision. Sin is always ready? What do I mean, sin is always ready? Well, it's interesting that in the Bible, especially for God's people, Sin is almost personified as, you know, um, and we're not talking about Satan, we're not talking about demons, it's just the idea of sin itself is almost personified. Because you remember back, early, early stories, uh, Cain and Abel? Remember, and they had, before God, and God accepted what Abel had done, and he didn't accept what Cain had done, because Cain apparently hadn't done what he was supposed to do. Cain gets really, really mad. We know the end of the story. He ends up killing his brother. Bad news. But look at what God tells Cain when Cain's upset because God didn't accept his offering to him. He says this. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And so it pictures sin as being present, doesn't it? Sin is present. And if I'm going to make good and right decisions, it, can't, it has no control of me. But what does sin want to do? And like I said, he's, he's personifying here to help us understand. What's it want to do? It's, it wants me, doesn't it? It wants to own me. It wants to control my decisions. It wants to lead me and direct me. That's what sin somehow wants to do in my life. And so this is what God is telling. Sin's there. It wants you, but if you do well, then it's going to go well. All right? But sin is present. See, it's always ready, isn't it? It's waiting there to, to be your decision if you will let it. Okay? The Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament in Romans 7 when he talks about struggling with sin. He says, I find in a law that evil is what? Present with me. Evil is present. And who am I? The one who wants to do good. I want to do what's right. But every decision that comes up, not every, lots of decisions that come up have a component about what's right and what's wrong. You know, and sometimes what's right is choosing what's best. But the idea is, so that component is there. And Paul says, I'm going through my life, I want to do what's right, and I do this. But I notice that, whoop, evil is here. Evil is never far away. Anyone besides me ever knows that? Evil's never very far away. It's ready to step in. 
Okay? And so understand, sin is always ready to be your decision. So you have to be conscious about making good decisions. And that's the second truth here. You develop a conscious awareness regarding your choices. Become more consciously aware. I mean, the reality is, is that we move through life making multiple, multiple decisions without even giving it much thought, right? The fact that you are here this morning is the result of a number of decisions you've made some point along the way, right? For those of you who aren't here, or maybe not able to be here, but if you've chosen not to be here, right? Well, that's the result of certain decisions that you've made along the way. And so we need to become aware of these things, develop a conscious awareness. Now, I would venture to say that when we come to what we consider big things, right? Like you're at work and there's money at work, you know, it's, it's being, you're selling things, whatever, there's money, and all of a sudden nobody's around, and you think, what? Probably none of you do think this ever. But you could think what? I could take some of that money. In fact, I could probably take some every day and nobody would ever notice. Now, I think we're all well aware of that choice, aren't we? We aren't surprised by that choice. It's there. We're very evident. And so it's, it's, when I say develop a conscious awareness regarding your choices, I'm not talking necessarily about those big things. Those big things are very important and they matter. But what I want you to see, I think it's the smaller choices that we need to become more aware of. Um, because what we end up with is a chain of decisions that take us somewhere. Okay? Let me see here. Yes. So there are, like, there are lots of, of small, seemingly insignificant decisions that really are insignificant. So I don't want you to go away from here today with this mindset. When you get up tomorrow and you look in your drawer and you go, I have six pairs of socks that would match my clothes today. Oh no, which pair should I wear? <laughs> right? I mean, those kind of, just pick one. Okay? We talked about that last week, right, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What do we want, which fruit do we want to eat for breakfast? Just pick one. It doesn't matter. Okay, so that is true. Um, but what happens when there are a lot of small decisions that kind of become this chain of decisions that has a bigger impact on our lives, we need to be more conscious of those decisions. Now let me give you just a, a really kind of silly example, uh, but I think that will drive home the point for us. Let me ask you a question. How many of you... Uh, have a TV show that you like to get to on some kind of regular basis? How many of you? All right, a lot of us. Uh, how many of you like to, you know, maybe sit down once in a while and just kind of veg out and watch a good movie? Yeah. You know? All right, so uh, we do that. So here's how this goes. You decide, okay, I'm going to sit down and you start to watch your show and you start watching your show and all of a sudden you think, man, I'd like something to eat. Okay? Is that... So I think I'll decide to have something to eat. Is that like some super big, significant decision? Is it? No, no, some of you are thinking way ahead. Now, don't do that. Just stay with me. It's not. It's not a big decision. So you go in, in the kitchen. You have a decision to make. Here's the, the decision. Ice cream or chips? How many of you are choosing ice cream? How many of you are choosing the chips? All chips? Okay. 
We'll get to the chips. All right, so you choose the ice cream. Get a nice bowl of ice cream. You sit down, you're watching your show. This is really cool. You're enjoying it. The ice cream's great. You set the bowl down, and this is, you're feeling good. Okay? And about 20 minutes later, you go, hmm, that was pretty good. Back to the kitchen. You decide to go back to the kitchen. And you still got a decision, ice cream or chips. And you think to yourself, well, you know what? There wasn't very much ice cream left, so I'll do the noble thing, and I'll eat the rest of the ice cream so I can get the container out of the freezer, put it in there. Now, is this a big, huge, significant decision, ice cream or chips? No? Doesn't seem like there's any moral component to it, right? So you eat the ice cream. Now, it's a smaller bowl this time, so you're, you know, you're just, hey, that was nice, but 15 minutes later, you can't get your mind off the chips. And so you decide, and you go you're back to the kitchen, and you're pausing the show every time. So you decide to go back to the kitchen, and you get the bag of chips, and you go sit down, and by the time the show's over, the chips are gone. <laughs> Big deal. You go to bed, and you love God, and you get up in the morning, you read your Bible, and yeah. you're, you know, you're off to work, and you do this. But you do this several nights a week. It's kind of a new thing to you for some reason. You know, you're doing it. This is awesome. You're enjoying life. And about four or five, six weeks down the road, you get up on church Sunday morning. And you get up on church, get up Sunday morning to go, and you're going to go worship with your church family. And you go to the closet and you get your clothes out and you, you start to put them on. You realize, I have a problem. My clothes aren't fitting. In fact, there's some of them I can't even get buttoned or snapped now. Right? And the other, rest of them really look bad because they're. You know, so tight. <laughs> and so you go, man, I, I can't go to church today. I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> and you feel kind of bad about that, that you aren't going to church. So you make a nice big breakfast to watch the live stream with. <laughs> now, is, is choosing to make a nice breakfast a problem? Is that a wrong thing? No, it's not. It's a good thing because I'm going to watch the live stream. And so you do that. And, and this continues for several weeks. And you watch the license. And then, you know, like I said four, five, six weeks out, you get up and, and you, you realize now that um, you, even your work clothes, you can't really get into. So, what do you do? Sunday morning, you go shopping. Because you've got to have some clothes to go to work tomorrow. You do that. Okay, now you've missed, they say, a month and a half. And, and then you think, hey, I got new clothes, I go to church, but you know what? It's, it's, it feels awkward to go back to church when you've been gone for six weeks. It feels really awkward because what are people going to do? They're going to make a big deal out of the fact that you're there. They're going to say, hey, it's good to see you. Where have you been? What's going on? That's awkward, so you don't go again. The next week, it's still awkward. And then all of a sudden, one day, you say, hey, wait a minute. I've been gone for a number of weeks here, and nobody has called to see how I'm doing. Nobody's called to find out why I'm not here. Now, that's not a good thing, but see, it happens. And then, hmm, I'm just not going to go. That'll fix it. Okay. Um, but you see, we have a chain of decisions. 
that we need to become conscious of, consciously aware of. And like I said, this is a silly example, but I think back and I think, okay, so really what I needed to do was make a different decision after the first bowl of ice cream. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but when I already made the decision to have the first one, I probably already made the decision to have the second one. So I have to, what I have to really have to say is no, no ice cream. I can't do that. No ice cream, no chips. And then I have to say, you know what? It's every time I just sit down and veg out for a couple hours in front of the TV that I have this problem. I might need to decide what? Not to do that. I mean, you do it where it works. You do whatever you need to do. But the point is, we need to look at those chain of decisions. Now, this is, like I said, a half silly although it becomes real life. <laughs> but what about if this was in your finances? These kinds of little decisions, right? That eventually become big decisions. I can't pay the rent. I can't pay the electric bill. I can't, I can't give like I should. You see what I'm saying? It's a big deal. It affects your life. How about your your relationships, whether parent, child, husband, wife, friends, if, if you're making these little, right, they can lead to big problems that, that bring you to a world of hurt. Okay, so we need to become much more conscious of our decisions. Like I said, don't sweat the silly little things, uh, but the things that are going to matter do. And if you see a chain, you know, that's grown to this, this bringing the wrong choices into your life, you may have to you may have to really suffer. No ice cream. I'm joking, but right? You may have to make decisions that aren't what's going to give you immediate pleasure. They're those principles. And then we need to do this. We need to elevate some decisions to a higher level. Okay, especially this is, like I said, I'm, I'm, this example, we're talking about, okay, do I eat a snack? Do I not? Do I... Uh, you know, watch the show at all. Or do, and, and the reality, as I said, those seem like insignificant decisions, but because of this chain of decisions where it's going, I realize, hey, wait a minute. This needs to be elevated from a small, insignificant decision to a more important decision. I need to think about it, need to do something about it. All right. So when it comes to this idea of elevating decisions and levels of decisions, here, that I, I see there's four kinds of decisions where we need to do what's right right now. And the first one is a once-for-all-time kind of decision. Now, the, uh, receiving Jesus as your Savior is one of those, right? I need to do this, receive Christ as Savior. But most of us here today have done that. Uh, and if you haven't done it, please talk to us. We'd love to help you understand that. Um, but we've received Christ as Savior, so that a once-for-all-time decision needs to be, I belong to Jesus. Right? In this sermon series, we had a sermon on that. We are owned. He, he purchased us. I belong to the Lord. So, therefore, I am going to serve him with my life. Whatever that means. Lord, I'm going to serve you with my life, and I need you to help me with that, but that's the desire of my heart. I'm making that commitment. A once and for all time to do what's right. Okay? And then, we make enduring decisions that aren't necessary for once for all time, but the idea is this. We say, okay, um, because I'm a follower of Christ and I'm part of the body, 
part of God's family. I am going to go worship with God's family every week, whenever I can. You know, whenever I'm able to, I'm going to be there with my church family to worship God. And I'm actually going to plan my life so that I can be there. Right? This is a, 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 an enduring kind of decision. This is going to be my approach to life. That's what I'm going to do. And then we make some long-term decisions. We say, you know what? I need to be involved in ministry. So let me, this ministry here, okay, like Pastor Dave's asking for, for help with the kids' ministry, right? And so you say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get involved in the children's ministry. Uh, for, I'm going to do this for at least the next year. And at the end of the year, I can evaluate and see if that's where I belong, you know, if that's what God wants me to do. But you're making a long-term decision that you're going to live out. Okay? And then you have this right now kinds of decisions. And if we're following this progression, right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take out my calendar and I'm going to put all of these things on there. My, my church, my, my service for the Lord, maybe other things that you know the Lord wants you to do. And you put those on your calendar and then you say yes and no to everything else on the basis of what's on that calendar. You see how this works? We're making right now decisions. Even the once for all time decision is a right now decision because the moment you realize you need to make that decision, do what's right, right now, okay? Um, but what about when you don't know what's the right thing to do? Uh, there's always a right decision and the right decision might be like, just pick one of the pairs of socks and get on with it. But the right decision, maybe I don't really know for sure what the right decision is, so I, I need to put off making a decision if I can and seek out what does God say, talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ, depending on how serious it is, I might want to talk to more mature Christians or a pastor or somebody, depending on the significance of it. And so the idea is we want to get to the point where, as, as Paul says in Romans, go ahead there, Sergey, if you would, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So, okay, I'm convinced. Now I know what's right. Go to the next one. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay, so I need to be confident that this is right and what God wants me to do. So I need to do that. Um, and we make the decision. Now, what if you don't have the, the option to put the decision off until later? In other words, you have to make a decision because when you walk into work tomorrow morning, you have to tell them your decision. Or you have to make a decision tonight or maybe even this afternoon, or whatever it is, and you, you don't, aren't really sure what the right decision is or the best decision, but you can't put it off. You have to decide. Well, this is the glory of being a Christian and walking with the Lord. Because, do you remember, uh, we had the uh, sermon on this guaranteed success? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, let's look. So I don't know what to do. Here, so we're going to go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And this is not scripture. Make the best decision you can and he will direct your path. Isn't that good news? But the idea is this works because this idea of acknowledge him in all your ways and trust him, this is when you're saying, I am going to do what's right, right now. And right now, this is the best decision I know to make. I'm making it. I'm going with God on this, trusting that he is going to direct me in these things. So, don't forget, we're works in progress. 
Don't go out of here thinking, oh, no, I've got to be perfect. I, no, try. I mean, work at it. But here's the good news about being a work in progress. It just became clear to me this morning. So if you're a work in progress, that means, one of the things it means is that if you will work at it, you will make progress. Okay? That's what you want to decide today. I'm going to work at this. I'm going to make progress. God will do it. And so do what's right right now. And then the final thought, duh, keep doing what's right right now. Because it will absolutely be worth it. You remember the promise? And let us not grow weary in doing good. For what? We will reap. We will reap the blessing. And so kind of try to settle this in your life, just a way of thinking about your life, okay? How am I going to live my life? Well, today I'm going to do what's right right now. Oh, I have a decision to make. Okay, wait, wait, what was that we, we talked about? Oh, yeah, do what's right right now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can live this way, that you've shown us what's right. You show us what we need to know. And we can trust you about those areas, Lord, where we're having to make decisions and we're not quite sure, but we're, our intent is to do what's right, that you work in our lives. And, and I pray, Lord, if somebody here today or someone watching or someone listening has never made that once-for-all-time decision to receive your Son as Savior, that they would, or they would reach out to get help, that, that their do what's right right now would be to reach out and learn more. Pray for that, Father. And for all of us, that we would... Adopt these ways of living so that when all is said and done, we will have lived a life that was worth living. Speak to each of us about what that means for us today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.